Good morning. Um, today we'll be teaching on something, something critically important, <laughs> something very, very, very important. The title of the teaching is "Spiritual Warfare in in the Pop Culture." Spiritual warfare in the pop culture. You see, um, if you are around people that um, study Bible doctrine and Bible teachings and, you know, try to understand what um, the original um, teachers of the Bible, I'm talking about the early apostles, Paul, Peter, James. If, you, if you're around the circle of people that try to teach these things, your understanding of spiritual warfare might be different from the understanding of spiritual warfare that many believers, especially Nigerians, believe. You see, and so there are broadly two perspectives to spiritual warfare in, in my mind. There are broadly two perspectives. The first one is one that is very popular, and that is that um, maybe your grandmother did something, you know, your grandfather was worshipping idol, and so there's a, there's a curse over your family now that you guys have converted to being a Christian, or maybe, you know, your mother-in-law is fighting you, or there's one woman that wants to steal, you know, your husband, or, you know, there's someone, a colleague at work that wants to take your position and goes to consult a herbalist or something, you know, and all of these things. Broadly, that's the perspective people have to spiritual warfare, you know. But the Bible teaches about spiritual warfare from a slightly different perspective. But let me establish something here, alright? Let me establish something here. Actually, the perspective, this perspective I just described, that is a very popular perspective that, you know, somebody is partnering with demoniacal forces to inflict pain in your life or to take advantage of you is true. You know, people even talk about spirit husband and spirit wife and, you know, sometimes people are unable to bear children because, you know, maybe someone cast a spell on them, consulted a herbalist. And let me tell you from the outset, these things are real and these things are true. Do you understand? These things are real and these things are very, very true. In the Bible, we saw examples of demons being responsible for the affliction in the lives of people. Think about the gathering demoniac. A man that had a promising future. A man that probably when they gave birth to him, everybody was happy. Everybody's always happy when there's a new child, you know. And he's a man who everybody's excited. This is the Jewish culture. These are people that, this, these are people that, you know, have high regard for the male child. Now this guy grows, does nothing, and demon spirits trump his life. He becomes so scary that he's bound in chains and he breaks the chains. Jonathan, he breaks the chains and he stays in, in, in graveyards. You know, terrible stuff. I can imagine, I can only imagine how his mother feels or felt. You know, maybe she keeps hearing news about him beating up people on the streets. And someone is wounded and they're like, it's your son that did it, you have to pay for it. And she can't do anything about it. 
Look at the man in, in, in John 17, for example. The man came and, in public, fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, Help me. He said, the demon spirit has tormented my son. Sometimes he falls into fire. Sometimes he falls into water. Sometimes he begins to convulse. Imagine that. If, that is beyond medicine. You know, if it was convulsion, normal convulsion, you know, there might be medical procedures that might be taken to help him. But what do you want to say about someone that on his own just sees fire and, and falls into it? I mean, people even say, I mean, mad men are conscious of fire. You won't go and play with fire, but this, is, this, this guy's case was different. The young man will see fire and fall inside. See water and dive inside. The demons, they would have to rescue him. And you can imagine how difficult it is. If you know anything about rescuing someone that is drowning, you know that the rescue guy doesn't, doesn't try to save you when you, are, when you are still struggling. You have to allow yourself before he can rescue you. Do you understand? Because if he tries to save you when you are, when you are still struggling, you know, I'm flapping your hands and trying to see if you can, you know, um, save yourself, you might end up drowning him. So imagine how difficult it is, how reluctant people will be when this guy jumps into water, trying to drown himself, because a demon spirit is responsible. And you know, we go forth to even say that demon spirits are responsible for sometimes academic failures. And while some people might argue that you don't see examples like that in the Bible, what do you want to say about someone that has read Someone that understood, someone that jotted notes, someone that taught people, and just few minutes later, less than 15 minutes later, less than 30 minutes later, cannot remember Jack about what they read, what they jotted, what they, what they explained to people. Just terrible, terrible. They just blank out. And no matter how hard they try, it just keeps happening. You see, now, the downside of this thing I'm explaining is that some people, any small thing is now a demon. You know, while studying this thing and, and, and just meditating in the early hours, early hours of this morning, you, you, I'm going to say something that many of you can relate with, especially if you are nocturnal. In the dead of the night, you hear some birds make some, sound, some certain sounds. And those sounds have been have been, um, have been, um, said to be witches, you know, and so, once you just hear that sound, you know, our parents will shout, blood of Jesus, or I, I come against you, you know, and all of these things. But listen, 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 listen. There is a gift of the spirits called descending of spirits, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll read verse... 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read verse 10. It says, To another walking of miracles, talking about the distribution of spiritual gifts. To another walking of miracles, to another prophecy, to another descending of spirits, there is a gift of the Spirit. There is an operation of the Spirit in, in the heart of man that is described as descending of spirits. It means that by that operation, 
in your spirit, you are able to know and distinguish that a demonic spirit is responsible for a situation. What that is implicitly means is that you don't know that a demon spirit is responsible for a case from your mind or by observation. No. You can't just say, and, and this is the flaw that, this is the error of many people. They just look at any girl that is unnecessarily fine and fair and have long hair. And they say, ah, this one, this one, a demon is inside her. Or any house girl that looks strange and behaves strangely. They'll just say, ah, this one must be a witch. No, you don't, you don't, you don't identify demon spirits by observation. Even the Bible says the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation. Do you understand? So you 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 are able to discern demoniacal spirits by the operation of the spirit in your heart. Just the way sometimes maybe someone is coming to your house and you just know ah this person this person or, or or someone or, or there's a knock on your door and someone just comes to mind or you just a, a friend just comes to mind and in a couple of minutes. The person just knocks. It's an oppression of the spirit in your heart. Do you understand? Called word of knowledge. Ability to know something by the spirit of God. The same thing. You might be praying about a case and you descend the activity of demon spirits. It's your ability. It's an ability you have. Do you understand? It's an ability you have because you're a believer. So, and, and like I said in the last teaching, when you descend that a demon spirit is responsible for a case, you have to expel the demon. Listen, somebody can be sick, and what is wrong is a medical condition. The person hasn't been resting, so the person has a headache. Or the person has a bad habit of probably not resting, and so the person consistently has headaches. Just another person doesn't take adequate water, and so the person consistently have, um, has headaches. Just and that's a medical condition. The person needs medical advice, you know, and what have you. But they can also be the oppression. So this is a different scenario when there's an oppression of a demon spirit that consistently makes the person have headache. Two different situations. Do you understand? And so by discerning of spirit, you are able to know if it's a demonic spirit responsible or you are able to know if by word of knowledge whether the person just needs medical attention or both. Do you understand? Alright, so I said that when we talk about spiritual warfare, there are those, there's the, the, the context of demon spirits responsible for the affliction in someone's life. And that is the one that is very popular. Now, what you need to do in that situation is you need to expel that demon. You need to take authority. You need to recognize that you have authority. Listen, don't be scared of demons. The demon spirits thrive in fear. Do you understand? They thrive in fear. They, you have higher authority than they. You have it by inheritance. I taught this in discipleship class some time ago. You have inheritance. Do you understand? There is what God has given you. Authority over demon spirit is your inheritance. It's your possession. It's yours. Do you understand? And so you can exercise that authority. 
Alright? That's very important. So learn to exercise the authority you have. Now there's a different perspective also to spiritual warfare. And this is the one that the Bible teaches. This is the one that's popular from scriptures. Alright? And that's the one that we're, te- we're teaching today. Alright? So I decided to just, you know, explain the popular one a bit just to help you. And I said, what you need to do is, if you descend and demon spirit is responsible, take authority. Do you understand? Insist on what is yours in Christ. Let me give examples. For example, if a demon spirit is responsible for, maybe, you descend a demon spirit is responsible for your state of academics or career stagnation or family, maybe there's trouble in your family and you descend a demon spirit is responsible and all of that. What you need to do is you recognize, first of all, that God's will is for you to be in health. God's will is for you to have a happy marriage. And God's will is for you to prosper in everything you lay your hands to do. Do you understand? He says, ask and you shall receive thy joy may be full. John chapter 16 verse 24. Meaning, God wants me happy. If academic success makes me happy, God wants that for me. So, now I know what the will of God is. Then Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all I can ask or think according to the power that is at work in me. It means there's power at work in me that is able to supply everything I want. God's ability was vested in me. He deposited in me. It means I have the authority, do you understand, to declare what I want. And so I command that situation. I command the demon spirit responsible for that situation to live. I take charge of that situation. I begin to create the future I want. I begin to declare that in my exams, I am consistently successful. Consistently. You are decreeing. Do you understand? You are, still, you are standing in the place of God and creating. This is very important. You have to know that you have creative abilities like God has creative abilities. Let me explain this. Ezekiel chapter 37. Oh, I don't even know if I have the time to read this. Ezekiel chapter 37, the Bible talks about the story of the um, valley of dry bones. Alright, let's go there. Ezekiel chapter 37. Are you there? Verse 1. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. Dead situation, dead and decaying situation. Imagine if that's the state of maybe something in your family, finances or something. He says, and caused me to pass by them roundabout, and behold, there were very many in open valley, and lo, they were very dry. So this describes a case of catastrophe, meaning mass death. Do you understand? Mass Death in a situation concerning a particular situation, and it has been there that way for a very long time. Do you understand? And so, don't now begin to think that okay, because the situation has been like that for long. Before I was born, we've been broke up till now, we're still broke. They said it's my uncle that is doing us, you know, and, and I can't tell, is it me? I'm a small person, I can't intervene. No, you can't. Do you understand? That's why you are being touched. You are being touched so that you are equipped to do the things that God wants you to do. Verse 3, Ezekiel 37, verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Imagine the question that God is asking. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? Imagine that's the question he asks you today. 
Can your family finances be resurrected again? Maybe you should remember when you were younger and you guys had a lot of money. Do you understand? And now he's asking you, can that time come again? Do you understand? Maybe you can remember a time when, you know, there was so much happiness in your family. There was no chaos. You guys lived in peace and harmony. And he's asking you, can that time come back again? Do you understand? Can these bones live? And I answered and said, O Lord God, thou knowest, and you know. <laughs> Verse 4. Again, he said unto me, Look at this. Prophesy unto the bones. <sighs> Listen, this is, this is the attitude you must have. That you take authority. Do you understand? That you take authority. You prophesy to the bones. That's what he said to do. Prophesy to the bones. Do you understand? Verse 4. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say unto them, O dry bones, share ye the word of the Lord. Listen. Ah. He didn't say, alright, cry to me. He, that, that's just not what God said. He didn't say begin to cry to me. He said, speak to the situation. You must learn to speak to the situation. When Moses was in front of the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his people were coming behind. The chariots of Pharaoh, the army of Egypt was coming behind. And, and um, Moses didn't know what to do. The children of Israel were crying out to Moses. They were like, have you come to destroy us? Did you bring us here to die here? And Moses began to cry to God. God said, why are you crying to me? What do you have in your hand? You have a rod. Stretch the rod. Engage what you have. You have an inheritance. Use it. That's what he's saying. And so I'm telling you, stop complaining about the situation in your family. You're saying, but I've prayed before. Listen. You have to learn to allow God's word improve your perspective. Do you know what? Sometimes it's just one truth you need to know. Maybe you are fighting warfare from the place of, ah, you know, God help me. Or you are fighting from the place of, I'm fighting, I hope it will work. But you need to learn to fight from a place of victory. From a place where you know that you got the victory you have already. And so you insist on your victory. Do you understand? You insist on your victory. And so Moses was crying to God. God said, no, you stretch your rod. Jesus was speaking about the mountain uh, when he, he caused the fig tree and he, uh, and he withered. And, his, and the apostles were like, how did you do this? He said, if you shall say to this mountain, do you understand? Meaning you address the situation. You tell the situation what you want. Do you understand? You don't complain. You are not praying to God and say, God, intervene. God, intervene. He said, if you shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Do you understand? And so, this is very interesting. That you have to speak what you want to the situation. The situation has intelligence. It can hear and respond. But you need to believe and not doubt in your heart. Alright? Also, what you need to learn, and I hope I have time to explain this, is that you need to be consistent. The Bible said the continued prayer of a righteous man makes the power available. So, you keep insisting, you keep insisting, you keep insisting. Look at Elijah, for example, praying for rain to fall. He kept insisting. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he kept praying. 
So a man of faith keeps praying. You keep insisting until you see the results you want manifested. Many of us learn to pray and stop. That's, there's, not, there's no such thing as stop praying. You don't stop praying about the situation. You keep insisting on the situation until you see the results. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 to pray, he didn't just pray and stop. No, he kept praying until it was the hour of darkness, until the people came to meet him. Do you understand? Elijah kept praying until the rain came. You keep praying until the situation manifests. You don't stop. You insist. Alright? On your victory. So we're in Ezekiel 37. Verse 4 says, And he said unto me, Prophesy unto the bones. And I said, And say unto them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto the dry bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Look at that. Oh, you see, faith. A man of faith doesn't doesn't make judgment concerning what he's seen. He's not complaining. He's not saying, Ah, this situation. When are you going to stop? He's not saying, How I wish this thing would just turn around. He's not saying, Ah, God, if it is your will, just he's no, 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 no. You declare what you want. You understand? And so he says, Um. You, he says that breath should come into them and they shall live. So I prophesied as I was commanded. He says, and as I prophesied, there was great, there was noise, and behold, shaking, and the bones came together. Now look at what happened. Look at look at what happened from verse five. Let me read from verse five. Thus says the Lord unto, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into them. And they shall live, and I would lay um, sinews upon them, and bring up flesh upon them, and they shall be covered with skin, and put breath in them, in, in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, there was noise, and behold shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinew of the flesh, and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four, four winds, the breath, and breathe the breath upon these slain, and they shall live. And I prophesied and I was commanded that breath came upon them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Look at the fact that he kept declaring, and kept declaring, and kept declaring, and kept declaring. That's what you ought to do. Do you understand? You ought to keep speaking, and keep speaking, and keep speaking, and keep insisting on what you're saying, until you see the situation the way you want it. Alright, so that's important for that aspect. But let me now talk about the, our main focus for today. Spiritual warfare in the pop culture. Now, in today's culture, many people, you know, especially many young people, are, are not as sensitive to the aspect of warfare that I just described. It is an aspect that is more predominantly believed in our parent generation. And sometimes we know that these things exist. But, you know, it's not so popular in our culture. Also, the Bible is not so emphatic about the kind of warfare I just described. Do you understand? So let's talk about 
the warfare that the Bible actually is emphatic about. The problem, the funny thing is that although we do not necessarily believe so much about the warfare of the other culture, don't forget I already said it is in existence, do you understand? Although we don't so much believe in it, we also don't realize the warfare that the Bible describes. And there's no generation that has been a victim of this warfare that the Bible describes like our generation. And so we are in a warfare, we are in, we are in warfare, we do not realize that we are in warfare and we are victims of the warfare. And let's go through the study, you'll realize it. Alright, so this is part one of this teaching and I'm going to talk about, you know, spiritual warfare in pop culture. My emphasis today is money. Money. You see, I, I, I couldn't even think about a better place to start talking about spiritual warfare than this aspect. Money. Because our culture is governed by money. The pop culture is governed by money. The culture of glam. I mean, in this pandemic, some people are buying Rolls Royce. Some people are buying Bentley. Some people are buying expensive cars. And you are like, what? I mean, you go on IG and you wonder if some people repeat clothes. Do you understand? You, 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 you see the kind of life that some people live, your mates. And you are like, did I come as house girl in this life? What, what's happening to me? The baby girl life is what I planned. This is not happening. What's, what's happening? You see, and many people do terrible stuff to make money. Many people also do many noble stuff to make money. Alright? Many people do a lot of noble stuff also to make the money they have. But, you see, um, in our culture of glam, you must recognize what money is doing to you. You must recognize the warfare that, that money is engaging. You must recognize the, the education that the pop culture is giving you. This culture of glam, you must realize the kind of mindset it is giving you. It's an antichrist, an anti-kingdom mindset, a mindset that is against the kingdom of God. Now, let me say this from the outset. Neither poverty nor wealth, do you understand, is, is the mindset of the kingdom. Let me put it that way. Some people teach money from the perspective of, ah, if you have money, you are not working the will of God. Some other people teach that godliness is gain. Meaning that God is a means to gain. Meaning that your spirituality is proved by your material resources. Listen, that's a great lie. That's, that, that's a ve- Listen, if you think that you are not rich because you are spiritual, you are lying. If you think that you are rich because you are spiritual, you are lying also. If you think that, what I mean is, if you think that wealth is a measure of spirituality, I don't need to say that there's no greater lie than that. Do you understand? That's not true. In fact, let me tell you what the Bible teaches. The Bible te- Paul talks about it. He says some people say that godliness is a means to gain. And they teach about godliness being a means to gain. And wealth being a measure of spirituality. Paul said from such people turn away. Don't listen to them. Don't associate with them. Do you understand? 
don't associate with them. So the Bible is not for or against wealth or prosperity or, or, or um, poverty or prosperity. Do you understand? If you want to be poor, God is fine with you. If you want to be rich, God is fine with you. Alright? So, like, first thing I'm establishing from the outset is that neither wealth nor poverty is the mindset of the kingdom. Don't look down on someone that is poor. If they choose to be, God doesn't have a problem with them. If you, if they choose, to, if you choose to be rich, God doesn't have a problem with you. Do you understand? But, so it means that there is a different problem with the teaching on money. And it's not resources. Resources is not a problem. The state of your heart is the problem. Alright? So, let me dive right into my teaching. What you will be learning today is not to trust in wealth. Do you understand? Paul talks about it. Not to trust. He says, to, he says charge them that are rich among you. He was talking to Timothy. He said, charge those that are rich among you not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us all things freely to enjoy. So we see that God gives us all things freely to enjoy, but doesn't want us to depend on wealth. So that's very important. That's very important. Not to trust in wealth. Now let me just give you three or four signals to know if you trust in money. How to know if you trust in money. Number one, if you're uncomfortable without money, very simple. If you're uncomfortable without money, if, if when you are broke, that time of the month when you are getting broke, if your esteem begins to drop, do you understand? If, if, if you are beginning to feel handicapped, if you are beginning to feel less of yourself, if when you now get your salary alert, you now feel alive again, you are now able to be out there, that's a problem. That's, that's, that's a sign. The journalist said that's a sign. When you can't relate with people freely because they have more resources than you, it's proof that you trust in money. Listen, evaluate yourself by this teaching. Because the pop culture has influenced many of us in ways we do not know. Do you understand? And is waging spiritual warfare. I told you, and I've told you throughout this month, that spiritual warfare is a warfare for whose ideology dominates your mind. Spiritual warfare is a fight for the dominance of a certain mindset in your, in, you know, in your life. Whether the mindset of the kingdom dominates your mind, or the mindset of, of, of the kingdom of God dominates your mind, or the mindset of the kingdom of darkness. Alright? And so, I said, that, that's what spiritual warfare is. So, now we are evaluating and saying, have I allowed the culture, the prevalent culture in my day, to dominate my mind? Or have I allowed the culture of the kingdom to influence my mind? Do you understand? And what you must learn is this. When the devil wants to influence you through culture, you know, through the pop culture, it's going to be subtle. It's going to, and it's also going to be very logical. Number three, it's going to work. Do you understand? It's going to work. Give an example of a lady that is dating like three guys. The idea is that she's not broke at any point, that nobody can, can. It's very stupid. Some people say that, some people are surprised. Like a lady is dating three guys and she's angry that one of them is cheating on her. Like I saw it online one day 
And I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like, you are dating three guys. And you have a problem with the fact that one of them is cheating on you. Because you think you are faithful to him. Like, how does it even work? It's absurd to me. Do you understand? But when... So, the idea is that, you know, she'll never be broke. Nobody can break her heart. So, she's surprised that one of them is breaking her heart. Do you understand? So, the, the pop culture gives you, offers you comfort, offers you glam, offers you everything like you want. And let me tell you, people get those things, although they still don't get satisfied. Alright, back to my teaching. How do you know that you trust in money? Number one, I said, if you are uncomfortable without money. The second one is, if you look into the future for your satisfaction. If you look into the future for your satisfaction, if you feel like, ah, when I land my dream job, ah, then I can buy the phone I want. I can subscribe for the data bundle I want. Maybe I want to be, I want to have like 30 gigs every month. You know, when I can buy the kind of clothes I want. When I can buy, you know, maybe you're thinking about when you get married and you have your own house, you know, your own choice car. Not just any car, but the car you actually want. Maybe a white Benz, you know. When you have your own house, this maybe big house, if you like a big house. Realize that everything you want, your joy, your satisfaction is in the future. Now, if that is where you are, your trust is in money. The trust is the money. And that looks very, that looks like what? That's all of us, exactly what I'm trying to say. We have been influenced by the pop culture and we do not know. We don't know. And I'll, don't worry, I'll show you from scriptures. Do you understand? Your satisfaction, if your satisfaction is in the future, it's a wild goose chase. You will ne- it's called chasing the wind. You never catch it. I've explained this thing already this year. Realize that the phone you are using today was once your dream phone. The phone you are using today, if you got it five years ago, my guy, you'll be the biggest boy in your class. Do you understand? But today you have it and you are looking forward to another dream phone in the future. Now let me tell you something. If you give yourself the excuse of, oh, my phone doesn't function so well, um, it doesn't have certain abilities, and so that's why... I am looking forward to a future phone that gives me better features, you know, gives me better aesthetics, gives me better class, and all of those things. You are still in the same boat I'm talking about. The issue is not lack or abundance. The issue is that your satisfaction, do you understand, is in the future. Let me give an example. This example doesn't catch it properly, but I hope it helps someone. Think about people that can eat little food and be satisfied. And think about people that never get satisfied. Their stomach is bottomless pits. Do you understand? So it is not necessary. And do you know that you can learn to be satisfied with little? Just that you can learn to be satisfied with little. You know? So it's like when you share your food with someone and you actually get satisfied. The food you love eating alone. But you won't be, you, you'll probably not be satisfied. But maybe you share it with someone you love, and you guys are just gisting and just having fun, and you just really want to love on the person and share with the person. And at the end, you feel satisfied. Do you understand? So, it's not about, it's not about abundance or lack. It's about 
being able to get yourself satisfied. And that's what we haven't learned in this generation, that I can actually make myself satisfied. Our parents have learned that thing. And so our parents are able to be satisfied with little. Are able to cope and not have their esteem, you know, um, smeared, even though they don't have abundance. This is why they were, and, and you must learn this before you become parents. Because as parents, you also learn to, satis, um, to sacrifice for your children. I know you plan to have a lot of money, such that when you pay their school fees of one million, you don't feel anything. But listen, it still will be a level of sacrifice. And there is warfare if you cannot be satisfied where you are today. Alright, so let me move forward. I said, um, if you look forward, if you look into the future for satisfaction, um, for happiness, for, you know, your comfort, you probably trust in money. Alright? Number three, if you can't do anything without money, if, if, if all your plans stop, where your money stops, you trust in money. Meaning, no matter how important something is, you exempt yourself from it because you don't have money. That's proof that you trust in money. For example, let me say your church is doing a project, and you know how important it is. It's, it's aimed at reaching out to, you know, getting more people saved, spreading the word of God. You know how important it is. But you don't want to really participate financially because you have calculated your salary and it's beyond your, you know, your capacity. And so you are not even able to give at all or as much as you should give. It's proof that you, tr- you actually trust in money. Alright, and I feel like this teaching just floods every one of us. Do you understand? Myself, you, it just floods every one of us. Because we were not conscious of the fact that the pop culture was influencing us. And so, we are looking towards, we are looking forward and looking for things to make us happy. Oh, you want to have this kind of, this level of Education. You want to have this kind of job. Do you understand? You want to be able to buy this kind of food, buy this kind of clothes. And while the, whilst those things are important, you are waiting to have those kind of things so that you would live the kind of life you actually want. Do you understand? You, there's, there's a level of happiness you want to get to. And you feel like getting those material resources will get you there. That's a problem. Do you understand? That's a problem. If God can't give me my biggest happiness, both sensual, do you understand, and spiritual happiness, it's a problem. Do you understand? And so, I said that if you can't do anything without money, if you're always thinking about money, then there are people that literally almost always talk about money. It's a problem. It's a problem. Always talking about how money rules the world. If, here's another point. So, point four was always thinking about money. Point five, if you do everything for money, some people cannot even help you do anything. They want to collect money. Do you understand? 
Listen, you have, I know, I know you paid for the skill you have. Do you understand? I know you paid for the skill. I know it took you time to learn what you, you're doing, your craft. I know that you are offering real value and a lot of people out there are making money from it. Do you understand? But if every time you have to do it, you have to be paid for it. It's a, it's a huge problem. I was thinking about um, someone that did a training for a media team um, some weeks back while I was you know, preparing this sermon. And I thought about how she actually gave her skill for free. She works in an organization and that skill is being paid for. But she did the training for us for free. That's, and she said, it's just my contribution to the kingdom. And it has helped us a whole lot. Jonas and I, we built on what she's, she's taught us. That's helped us to, you know, do a lot of things. And we're even growing, you know, from there with what we uh, should do. You know, so that's important. Some of you can't do it. You can't offer it. Sometimes even information, you can't give. I know information is currency in our day. But you can't even give information for free. You can't, you can't train people for free. Everything has to be about money. Everything. 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 Your friendships are about money. You make friends based on money. You want to connect with certain people because they are able to give you some kind of networks. You know, what's the problem? Why are we always chasing money? Listen, money is important in this age, but we have to be careful, alright? Now here's the truth. The truth is, if you work for money, if you're diligent, Jonathan, if you do the right things, you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to, um, that's, if all things being equal, you're going to make a lot of money, and you are going to be able to, um, to live the kind of life you want. You know, have the kind of dream wardrobe you want. Have the kind of house you want. Jonathan, buy the kind of cars you want. Go on the kind of vacations you want. If you work very hard, do you understand? You and you know other factors being equal, you'll be able to do the things you want, lead the kind of comfortable life you want. But you see, wealth or poverty is not the issue. The main issue is not that you have abundance, the main issue is not that you are poor. The main issue is the place that money has in your heart. That's very important. What place does your money have? So don't think that this teaching is a teaching on you being poor. Neither should you think that this teaching is a teaching on you being rich. Do you understand? None of them is what God is for or against. Do you understand? But the problem is what place does money have in your heart? Alright? And I've told you, I listed a couple of things that would help you to identify if you need urgent attention in this subject. Alright? What place does money have in your heart? Let's look at a certain story. Luke chapter 19. So now we'll start read. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is a very interesting story. Ha ha. Glory to God. So I'm going to start from Luke chapter 19. Verse 1. Please open your Bibles. Luke 19. 1. I'll read from the NIV. Because it's easy to understand. Jesus entered Jericho 
I was passing through. I was passing through, and a man there, that's a man there, by the name um, Zacchaeus, called. Sorry, pardon, let me read it again. A man, I was distracted. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. This is a very interesting story. It says, let me give you a background of this story, a historical background. Now, this um, place where Zacchaeus lived, this Jericho, was a border city. And you know, if you know anything about border and custom, you know that a lot of money flows there. Now, this guy was also a custom worker. He was a chief tax collector. So he he collected um, levies and taxes and all of those things. Alright? So, number one, it was a border city. And because it's a border city, you understand, it has a lot of inter-city and inter-state trading. And so there was a lot of tax collection. So as an official, he was rich based on his pay because a lot of money was coming in. So obviously he was being paid well. All right. Now he was even a chief tax collector. That takes his, 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 his hierarchy in the organization higher, meaning he's paid a whole lot more than others. All right. So this guy was naturally a wealthy person because I mean, he was living in a state that was very lucrative. He had a very lucrative job and he had a lucrative position. I mean, just talks about favor upon favor upon favor, like he was living his best life. He didn't even need to be fraudulent to be wealthy. You understand? But this guy chose to be fraudulent. So he was now super wealthy. Wealthier than he would have been if he wasn't, you know, um, a corrupt guy. Verse 3. So I'm giving you the background so that you understand how rich this guy is. Super rich. You know, like a high custom officer in Lagos State, Nigeria. And he's now corrupt. So he's making a whole lot more money than one can imagine. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could, <laughs> he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. Interesting. So he came down. If it's today, they'll say, hmm, all these men of God are chasing money. Well, no problem. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be guest of sinners. Apparently, those tribe of people, they've been there since the day of Jesus. They talk about men of God and how they're looking for money. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, this is interesting, they were eating, they were having dinner or lunch, whatever. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, look Lord, here I am, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, if I have been corrupt, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said unto him, Today salvation is coming to your house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's himself, Jesus Christ, came to seek and to save the lost. Beautiful story. Beautiful story. So, they were having dinner. In the middle of the dinner or lunch, Zacchaeus stands up and says, Look, Jesus, Lord, if half of my goods 
this world I have spent my life chasing, you know, worked hard to climb the ranks, did dubious things also to amass wealth, suddenly I want to give half of it to the poor. Suddenly I'm now empathic. I want to give half of it to the poor. I want to help people. I have often thought about myself being comfortable, living my best life, do you understand, the baby boy life. But suddenly, I want to give half of it to the poor and make other people comfortable. I want other people to enjoy. I want other people to be satisfied. I'm not looking forward to my satisfaction in a bigger car. I'm not looking at a bigger car that I want to buy, that I'm saving money to buy. This is amazing. This is amazing. I'm not looking forward to a bigger house I'm trying to build, that I'm saving my money for, that I'm working my ass out for. I'm no more selfish. I'm now sacrificial. Do you understand? I'm no more selfish. I'm now sacrificial. Now, you see that the place of money in his heart, in his heart has dropped. Has dropped. Now, you might think it's very easy for him because he has a lot. I mean, he's not going to be hungry if he gives half of his goods. Think about cutting your salary into half. That is how he feels. Do you understand? Think about calling, cutting your salary into half and giving half to the poor and living with half of your salary. In fact, some of us can't even save 50% of our own salary so that we would invest it for the future. But this guy didn't only cut half to, you know, didn't only decide to leave it half of his income, but decided to actually give it to the poor. It shows you a radical change of hearts. Alright? And then he says something else that we should learn from. He says, And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I pay back four times the amount. Now, this, this also tells us something very, very interesting. This shows the place of the word of God in his heart. Now, let's, let's read something here. That's verse, um, verse 8. I read from KJV. It says, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. Alright? Now, when you read Exodus chapter 22, Exodus chapter 22, it gives, I believe that's where he got his idea from. Exodus 22, verse 1. It says, if any man had stolen an ox, or a sheep, or killed it, or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep. So if you have stolen from someone, restore fivefold, or fourfold. So he said, if I have cheated anybody anything, I pay back fourfold. I don't know if you've talked about what fourfold is. So, half of his income that is now left for his spending, he uses it to settle people, not only settle them, but to pay fourfold. Here's what it means. Now, this is a very uncomfortable position. Very, very uncomfortable position. Imagine you, are to, you, you, you decide to give half of your income to the poor. That's radical. Then, if you've cheated anybody, if you're owing anybody, 
Anybody you borrowed money from, you've not paid, you decided that you pay them back fourfold of the amount you borrowed. It, it, it immediately shows that your trust is not in, you now trust God for supply. It shows that you are satisfied with what you will have. Whatever state of wealth you be, you are satisfied. It means that there is something higher than money to you. Alright? So this is very important. This is very important. And this is the state of Zacchaeus. It shows that he got, he had a different state of heart. Johnson, he possessed a different state of heart. And so, Jesus identify that state of heart and say, salvation has come to your house. Salvation has come to your house. Alright? So, it's important for us to have this kind of mindset. So, and to possess this kind of mindset. Alright? So, um, let, let me wrap that discussion up. Let me wrap that discussion up. Because Zacchaeus now had... Because what you now realize is that he had a, higher, a high view of scriptures. He wasn't thinking like his colleagues anymore. He wasn't thinking like his former self anymore. He now allowed the mindset of the scriptures. If you've cheated anybody, pay them back fourfold. He wasn't now thinking emotionally anymore. Oh, how will I pay fourfold? Oh my God, I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be broke. No. He now allowed what the scriptures taught. He now allowed what the scriptures taught. The teachings of the Bible to have preponderance in his mind. Do you understand? He allowed the view of scriptures to gain ascendancy in his mind. He allowed himself to be influenced by the culture of the kingdom of God. So, that must be your perspective. That's what this teaching is doing. Are you going to allow the mindset of the kingdom to gain preponderance over pop culture in your mind? Are you going to begin to think that, okay, if I give half of my wealth to those in need, and those people that have been owing and have been posting, I decide to pay them fourfold of what I'm owing them. Are you going to begin to think that, okay, then I'm going to be poor, then I'm going to be unhappy, then I'm going to be miserable just because I want to obey God? Is that how you are thinking? I can tell you confidently that Zacchaeus was happy to do this thing. He was very happy to do this thing. Alright? Because the people we see give generously in the Bible, we saw them doing it with joy. That's, that's, that's the culture of the world. Alright? So, what we are learning from Zacchaeus' story is to have a high view of scriptures. A very high view of the word of God. Alright? So, we've learned a lesson from here. So far, we've learned that we shouldn't trust money. We've learned how to identify if we're trusting money. We've also learned from Zacchaeus to have a high view of scriptures and allow the, 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 the teaching of scriptures concerning money to be our mindset. Okay? Now, the next thing we're going to learn is satisfaction. Because without teaching about satisfaction, we, 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 without teaching biblical satisfaction, Number one, the pop culture will teach you what satisfaction looks like. Glam. Simple. One straight answer. Glam is the satisfaction of the pop culture. Alright? So, but we must teach what Bible satisfaction is. Now look at Bible satisfaction from Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Interestingly, 
John the Baptist was the one that did this particular teaching. Luke chapter 3 from verse, we're reading verse 14. So John was baptizing people and he was preaching. And different people kept coming to him. Alright? And they were asking him questions, what they needed to do to be saved. Verse 14 says, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall I do? Now I want to turn to God. What shall I do? And he said unto them, Don't do violence to no man. Now, because he wasn't telling them not to go to war. Do you understand? So he was telling them not to mahandle people unduly. Do you understand? Not to take advantage of people because of their position as soldiers. Alright? He says, Do violence to no man, neither accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Paul didn't say, Alright, those that are earning 50,000 and above, come here. Those that are earning 30,000, come here. Those that are earning 15,000, come here. Then he will now start giving them different messages. You that are earning 50,000, be generous. You that are earning 30,000, be content. You that are earning 15,000, trust in God. No. No matter your level of resources, he said, be content. Be content. So think about how much resources you get every month. And the message is be content. It's not about your level of income. It's about content. It's about satisfaction in what you have. Do you understand? It's about satisfaction with what you have. You're, you might ask and say, but it's not enough. Exactly the point. That's what I'm teaching you. Enough. Listen, let me tell you the meaning of the word. The word, um... Satisfaction. It means, write this down, write this down. The word content means, number one, it means to be happy. To be happy. Write it down. It means to be happy. It means to be satisfied. To be okay. It means to not complain. Oh, but it's only 15,000 I'm earning. To not complain. To not complain. You can, you can legit just decide they are not going to complain. It means to acknowledge that it's enough. See, as I studied this thing, my mindset started fighting. And, 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 and I'm sure it's happening to you. When you look at your income and I'm saying that you should acknowledge that it's enough, you're like, my own is not enough. Oh. I know why you think it's not enough. It's because you feel like, oh, you can't buy some of the things you want. You're not where you want to be. No, be content with your wages. Remember what we learned before we came to Luke 3. We learned that we should act, take a high view of Scripture. Accept what the Bible teaches. So if the Bible says, no matter my level of income, I should learn to acknowledge that it is enough, I tell myself it is enough. Alright? So to be content means to acknowledge that it is enough. Are you ready for the last definition? It means to say that it is all I needed. That's what contentment means. To say 
that it is all I needed. So it means to be happy, to be satisfied, to be happy. Yes, man. Don't put your happiness in the future when you have the cars and you have the big house and you can travel the world. To be content means, listen, that happiness you want to have then, have it now. That's contentment. Have it now. You say, but the resources are not there. Exactly my point. That's what it means to be content. That's what it means. Do you realize that the resources are not, you are actually holding yourself back from being happy because you don't have those things. You are holding yourself. The things will not make you happy. You will be happy about... Oh, don't worry, we'll get there. You will be happy about those things. So you can choose... In fact, because the Bible says you should be happy, it means that it has nothing to do with the things. It has everything to do with the fact that you have decided to hold back yourself from being happy because you don't have those things. You can release yourself and be happy. Do you understand? The pop culture has taught us not to be happy if we don't have it. It has always taught us to want more, to do more, that there is always more. There is something better. Do you understand? There is something better. There is a new iPhone coming out. It has better this. Samsung is coming back. I think they won't come back. It has this. So that's important. That's important. Alright? <laughs> oh my God. And Rita just said, I shouted at the fifth point. <laughs> Trust me, my dear. I also shouted studying these things. But I told myself, I said, my God, is this it? Is this what God's word is saying? That's very important. That's very important. I told you we are all in this boat. <laughs> we are all in this boat. Alright. So, you can't just keep saying, you can't, listen, release yourself. Give yourself the liberty to be happy. This culture teaches you that do you have the new iPhone? You need to get it. You are able to. And so everybody that gets it is, 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 is happier. Do you understand? Everybody that gets it feels happy like, oh, now I got what I want. Do you understand? Oh, no. No, you can actually release yourself to be happy. You can release yourself to be happy. And that's what you need to do. <laughs> Isaiah said, silently taking the punches, my dear. We are all being punched here. Oh, glory to God. But I'm happy we're learning. Well, I'm happy we're learning. Listen, the pop culture will not have influence over us. We would, we would spread the influence of the kingdom in this city. We're a new breed of people. And God is preparing us in Jesus' mighty name. Alright. Now, um... So we said, John told these people to be content with their level of wages. Listen, remember I said, it means to say that it is all I need. So here's what I want to do. Let's participate now. Think about your level of income, how much you make every month. And tell yourself, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay, I'm happy. Do you understand? The first time years ago I heard a friend saying that, he actually doesn't want to be rich. He just wants to be okay. He wants to be able to marry. You know, have a good home. Just be, he doesn't want plenty. I was surprised. I was surprised that somebody didn't want plenty money. Do you understand? It's okay. Now, that's what he wants. Now, obviously, if you want a lot of money, it's fine. 
Jesus, but look at how much you're making and say, it's enough. It's enough. Do you understand? It's enough. Many of us, you know, the Bible said, if you have raiment and you have food, you have somewhere to put your head. It's okay. Be content. Do you understand? Be content. The new phone is just another phone. The new clothes is just another clothes. It's, it might be finer. It might give you better glam. You know, and all of those things, but it's enough. It's okay. Do you understand? It's okay. So, let's... That's very important. Moving forward. Satisfaction... Satisfaction... Satisfaction is not that all my needs are met. That's not what satisfaction means. Do you understand? Satisfaction doesn't mean that all my needs are met. But it means that I am happy where, uh, where I am. Whether I have abundance or I have little, I am happy where I am. Do you understand? So, take away your happiness from your cash flow, the amount of money you are making every month. Take away your happiness from all of those things. Alright? Moving forward. Moving forward. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Remember I said this teaching is summed up in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Interestingly, this is the first time I'm, I'm teaching something like this without using Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. So, so true. So, so true. So, so true. Now, let's read Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Hallelujah. Alright, so we're moving forward and we're about to read something that's... Huh, something that's... Might throw a little more punches here and there. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. Are you there? Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. It says, let me read from the NIV. Philippians 4 10. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you ha had no opportunity to show it. Now, these people were given, here's, here's the background. These people were given to Paul, they were sowing seeds, you know, and then they stopped for a while. Um, they renewed it and he said, I rejoice gladly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. You know, then he says in verse 11, and I'm going to make a confession here. I am not saying this because I am in, in need. I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, you know. I'm, I've learned to be content in everything I have and all of that. Here's what I, the truth is, every time I've read this scripture, I always felt like Paul was just playing smart. Paul was, I felt like, look, Paul was legit happy that these guys are now giving him and now sowing seed into his life. But he was just saying, you know, I'm not really saying, I'm not saying I'm happy that you guys have renewed your concern because you guys are giving me more money. I felt like he was just playing around the whole thing. But it's not true. You know, it felt like, it always felt to me like, guy, I know you are happy that I give you money. You have a subtle motive. You are for me. I'm happy. God is going to bless you, you know, and all of that. But you, are, you legit want, I wanted their money in a way. 
or we are at least happy that they were giving him money. You know, but he says something that trumps that thought. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I have learned the secrets of being content. I've learned how to be happy. The word content there means, are you ready? It means self-complacent. You know what it means to be complacent? Meaning that, you know those people that are just unserious in school and they are failing but they are not bothered. That's what it means to be complacent. It means that the person has not read for exams but the person wants to go out and just with friends, wants to play games. The person feels this a test and he just drops the scripts and says, let's go and get food. Unperturbed, not disturbed. That's the attitude you should have towards money. That's the attitude you should have towards money. I have plenty, unperturbed. I have little, unperturbed. Listen, listen carefully. You cannot effectively work for God. Participate in the spread of the gospel if you are not unperturbed about finances. If you are always thinking of your money, you will not, there is a limit to how much you can participate in the spread of the gospel. Because, listen, you will, you will have to turn down opportunities for more money for the purpose of the gospel. I was listening to a man of God one time and he was talking about how he, he, he's the MD of his company and he said that whenever he, he's the MD of his company and he's also a preacher. He said whenever he's having a convention or his partner is having a convention, they don't go to work. So there was a time that there was a contract to bid for, something like that, but he was having a convention and so he wasn't going to attend the meeting to, you know, be for the contract. Why? Because he has convention. If for you, eh, attending a church conference and going on a business trip is something you are racking your brain, you don't know which one to choose, it's a big indicative. Now, you might say that, oh, but if I'm able to do the business, I would have money to sponsor the gospel. My guy, your presence in that conference is more important than your money. Do you understand? Your presence, in, your participation, your being equipped for ministry is more important than the money. Money is important. Do you understand? Money is important. But the question is, what place does it have in your heart? Alright? So, Paul was complacent. He was carefree. Do you understand? He didn't have concerns about money. And many times, you think that because he's a preacher, at first he was poor, now he has a lot of money. So he's not concerned. It's not true. He says, it doesn't, I've been on either side. I've been at places where I had money. I've been in places where I did not have money. But I've learned to be con- Listen, let me tell you this. Hmm? If, if, if the idea of being poor or having no money, if I say that, 
There will be times when you will not have any money. And your response is, God forbid. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. It means that you feel like because you will not have money, you will not be able to do the things you need to do with money. Do you understand? That's a problem. It means that you don't trust God. You trust money. Let me give you examples. When we were in school, there were times we did things that we didn't have the money to do. Maybe there was a conference coming up and they needed money. And we used all our allowance. We sowed it as seed. Do you understand? But we did that. I'm, I'm, I'm taking your mindset back because I want you to relish the experience. We, we gave all our money for the cause of the gospel and we were happy doing it. We, were, we also knew that we would not lack. We were satisfied. We knew that somehow God would supply and we went through. There, were, there was a time I used like almost all my allowance to buy a Bible. I used a huge part of my allowance to actually buy a Bible. Like that day I went to the bank. Withdrew my allowance had just come. I was in school at the time. I withdrew money. I went to the ATM, withdrew money, and I branched the bookshop. And I saw a Bible that cost the cost of the Bible was 10k. And I said, My goodness. I wasn't thinking about my money. I was excited at having that Bible. Like I looked at the Bible. The funny thing is I gave the Bible out. <laughs> but you know something very interesting happened. I bought a Bible and I came back home and my dad saw the Bible. And he asked me how much the Bible costed. And I told him 10000 And he was so proud of me. He was so proud of me. Do you understand? But at the point when I was buying the Bible, I, was even, I knew I was going to be broke that month. But somehow I was just excited. I couldn't imagine not walking away. I just wanted to have that Bible. I, I just, I just, I, I could picture how my, my devotion would look like. Reading the Bible, the materials that the Bible offered. Amazing. Amazing. Do you understand? So that's it. That's it. We, when we were in school, we were able to spend, and somehow we knew that God would supply somehow. Our trust was in God. And that's what Paul told Timothy. He said, charge those that are rich, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who, is, who gives us all things freely to enjoy. So, if you are scared of Putting your money where your devotion is. Putting your money where your mouth is. It means that your trust is in money and not in God. Alright? So that's very important. Paul said, I've learned to be complacent about money. Whether I have plenty or whether I don't have plenty or it doesn't affect my excitement. It doesn't affect my perspective about myself. It doesn't affect my satisfaction. I always feel enough. My needs are supplied by God. My resources are for God. I can give and I know I would even listen, even when I even when I lack, just even when I lack, I'm not thinking of a future time of excitement. Jonathan, so that's very important. That's very important. Now here's something else to learn. Paul said, I've learned the secrets of you know. Verse um, 12. He says, I know what it means to be in need. I know what it means to have plenty. I've learned the secrets of being content. So, there is something to learn. It didn't come automatically. And that's what we're learning today. Alright? Allow the ideology of the kingdom to inundate your heart over and above 
the pop culture. Do you understand? Learn to be satisfied. Learn to be satisfied. Um, moving on from there. Let's look at a group of people that were poor and were satisfied. Popular scripture, I've read this many times and I'm going to read it many times in the future. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through to 7. Second Corinthians chapter 8, from verse 1 to 7, very quickly. And now, brethren, we want you to know about the grace of God, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul calls it grace. He said, I want, to, I want you to be aware of a certain grace. Let me tell you what the grace looked like. The grace was explained in verse 2. He said, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. What does it look like? He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty Welled up in rich generosity. Hush! These people were in severe trial. Serious financial hardship. But with so overwhelming, overflowing joy. These people were not going to be happy after the trial. They're not going to be happy after the depression. They're not going to be happy after the famine. Huh. He had to call it, I mean, he had to call it grace. They had, like they were excited at where, where they were. They were, they were, non, they were complacent, self-complacent about the, the state of their, their material resources. It didn't stop them. It didn't stop them. They were joyful. They were joyful. They're like, what I have is enough. And I'm happy with what I have. I'm happy. I find joy. This is it. I find joy in what I have. Not in what I don't have or what I want to have. I find joy where I am. If this is the resources I have, I find joy in it. I'm happy. I'm okay. It's enough. Don't come and start telling me I'm, I'm, not, I'm not adequate because I don't have this. I'm fine. I did things I can't do because of my level of wealth. Maybe. But I'm okay. It's, it's fine to be there. Do you understand? Because your level of poverty is someone's level of wealth. And so if the person, if we are always chasing more money, more money, more money, more happiness, more money, more happiness, we will never get there. Do you understand? We will, we will keep chasing. It's a ch we are just chasing the wind. So Paul calls it grace. In the midst of severe poverty, they are overwhelming joy. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let me tell you if you don't know. When you are extremely poor, if you abound in rich generosity, you'll be super broke. So these people were extremely poor and rich in generosity. Meaning, the reason why you are not giving to the gospel is not because of your level of income. It's because of your level of satisfaction. You don't feel like it's enough. Enough has nothing to do with how much you have. But when you decide that is enough, listen, Listen, enough, enough has nothing to do with what you have or what you don't have. It's enough is a state of mind. Enough is a state of your heart. Decide today that your income is enough and you are happy. It's okay. You are fine. 
Do you understand? You are content. You are, you are, you are self-complacent. I'm okay with what I'm making. Don't come and tell me what you're making. Don't, don't come and start. I'm fine. Do I want more? Yes. But am I going to get it by all means? Now, this is not even saying that. This is, this is not a teaching that you should not be ambitious to make more money. No. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that it shouldn't, you shouldn't have. That's very important. All right, glory to God.